Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to another episode of the Hostile Takeover, your irregular gaming podcast right here on the Fantastic Universes Network, starring me, Adam Ray, the user tinkerer, talking to a very dear friend from across the world and across the web about PC, console, tabletop gaming, and everything in between. For those of you listening to us through our Patreon support, I want to thank you again for your continued support, even though there's been a bit of silence for this show coming off of the air with uh, other priorities and other efforts within Fantastic Universes taking my time. But uh, as you well know, all patrons get exclusive ad-free episodes of each podcast we produce and for very high advance releases of all of the podcasts we create. But uh, with our nice return to form, I want to promise you that I know I've said this before on the show, but every effort will be made to make this a much more regular thing. I've got uh, Connor, our card games correspondent, with some very interesting projects in the pipeline and the lovely ladies over at Aaron Spencer Productions eager to have their thoughts and opinions shared about the wonderful world of tabletop role-playing. But speaking of tabletop role-playing goodness, there is something very special out there in the midst of time and space, something that I've been working on for a very long time. Getting close to, it'll be two years almost since this project started, and you're going to hear more details about it from my very good friend and the face and strange voice behind Biscuit Tin RPD, the, inevit- the indefatigable and never imitated John slash Jeff, the patron of Biscuits. How are you, my good pal? I am fantastic, my friend. I uh, <laughs> I couldn't have asked for a, uh, a better intro there. <laughs> this is all completely off the cuff. I'm sure those who listen to this back will hear me stumbling over my words, but I mean them all with the greatest of love and respect it's it's true because you've been a friend and someone that's been in my life for well over two years at this point well in the uh um, wreckage um, of apotheosis studios that um <laughs> yeah we've we've survived and we've gone on to make some interesting and excellent content but before we jump into the main event why don't since this is your first time here on the hostile takeover mm-hmm. why don't you introduce yourselves to our dear and darling listeners to around the world yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is John. Uh, I I am online under many pseudonyms, whether it have been the original Jeff, patron of Biscuits, uh, now shortened to Mr. Biscuits, for reasons I still haven't quite figured out myself, other than the fact that it was a fun nickname coined for me by some of my fellow moderators in an old server. Um, it's, it's honestly a joy to be part of this community. Um, honestly, my homebrew start really started before the wreckage and fallout um from our pre our previous uh engagement um really wanted to get a taste for some warlock stuff and really make some things pop that i felt that warlocks were really lacking um so i started there with this ridiculously absurd uh warlock class uh for the infernal death which is the pseudonym of Jeff, patron of biscuits. Uh, a little bit more intimidating than simply Jeff. Uh, and uh, honestly, the, I'm sure somewhere out there the original exists. Um, however, if you find it, please, please leave it buried. It is a travesty. I think that's but... how we actually started talking, because you fired it over to me for me to plug it into Home Brewery so that it actually had the look of like an actually official... D&D module, and I looked at it and mm-hmm. it's like, what is this horrendous pile of power? <laughs> I would never let... It's so satisfying to look at and think of the possibilities in-game, but I would never let any of my players use it. What is this? And it was just so satisfying. 
Yeah, that's how we started talking, <laughs> I think, back in the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were the the blog correspondent, as it were, and I was just the moderator of a server. Um, and after I got the taste for the homebrew itself and how that all worked out, um, just creating and coming up with new and fantastical ideas, it really just took root in my brain, and I couldn't stop it all from pouring out. Um, it started with warlocks. It went into other classes. It went into magic items of absurd uh, power and variety. Um, and it eventually morphed into me wanting to make legitimate content that could be used in anybody's game. And it didn't have to be simply for power gamers and people like that. Uh, it was actually really geared towards more of the role play and storytelling aspect of it, as that's the biggest and uh, most enjoyable part of any D and D game for me. Me too. I think that's uh, that's always been a focus for me. Leaving like heavily narrative-driven, satisfying story moments. Sure, there's always like chances for you to be playing powerful characters, but there's a great story behind it, and that makes the powerful side of things just even more satisfying so yeah there was that was the union and as you said there was plenty of role playing and like home brewing and new concoction goodness that we sort of came to and that's what brought us together as it were we had some ideas that needed to grow and have a a, a real arena Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's really what just put it together. I was like, hey, I want to work with you on a, a project that I'm I'm fiddling with. And I, I showed you the content that I had, had created so far, and you were just like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Right in the height, the height of COVID land, uh, you approached me almost a year ago to the, just almost two years ago, as it was, like the end of, end of 2020 with the, these ideas and your first your, let's say, um, house-trained version of the Infernal Cook. <laughs> yes. um, there was a lot of new potential there, and I had my own pieces of content that I was going to brew, but I didn't want to necessarily put on Apotheosis Popper. I need, think it needed a bigger arena. So this opportunity just fell right into my little doorstep, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what, we could brew together and and honestly i talk about it a lot and i still say that this is the biggest and most ambitious project i've ever been a part of and i'm so very grateful to have been thought of by little old you <laughs> well i appreciate you uh being willing to work with me on uh <laughs> what i'm referring to as quite literally a uh stirring pot of absolute chaos <laughs> yeah yeah hence the name menagerie of madness there is a lot of madness to be seen in this uh little thing that we've created so let's let's get let's get down to the nitty-gritty time for the uh time for the main event as a character i quite like from a different card game would say so once you approached me uh the then blog writer of apotheosis studios uh that uh Kay was talked to you by the then community manager of apotheosis studios hey i want to build a DD thing what will you help me and sure enough we did. So out of that initial idea, what became of our initial idea? Yeah, absolutely. So the initial concept of this was literally just bringing together a, a, a mishmash of magic items and uh, new some, some new spell variants, as well as uh, a few uh, uh, subclasses for the various uh, core classes that are present within D&D. &D. 
Um, and then I, I started like having more ideas, like maybe we could put in some lores here that you could kind of plug into whatever world you're in. Um, and it doesn't even have to be pre-existing. It could be something that just the players didn't know about previously. Um, so I came with these random lores, some things like the underground, uh, which is an arena of sorts that uh, no one has to win for obvious reasons once you actually learn about it. Um, and then I, um, I had this random idea. And at the time, I didn't know. Uh, about this, because I'm not familiar with everything that is out there in the D&D universe, because uh, I started playing in like 3035. Um, so a lot of the older stuff that exists in the uh, D&D lore, uh, I was kind of ignorant to. Um, so there is this creation in official D&D uh, of a city of doors of some sort, like a like a kind of a gateway nexus floating city. Um, and I, had, I was completely ignorant of this. I had no idea it existed. And I just had this like random thought that um, was like, what if there's a realm or a place that you could accidentally fall into that is connected to everywhere and every time, all the time? And it was it was honestly just going to be a quirky little bit of lore that you could throw in to kind of like have some fun with with your uh, with your campaign. Um, and I, I tossed this idea uh, at you, Adam, and you looked at it and said, this could be so much more. <laughs> I was like, uh, all right, uh, take a crack at it. And within, I'd say, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, you had almost completely written out this entire realm as it were not really its own plane of existence but kind of at the same time where time kind of doesn't work the same uh accidents happen we created an entire ecosystem for this place but still left it um open to be sandboxy enough that even if you don't want to read everything about what's available within this place you could literally just plug and play whatever you wanted in there uh the main point of it being um uh, this is a place outside of time and space uh, between all the realms and not at the same time. Um, and we we took in a lot of uh, inspiration from various outside avenues. Uh, I still chuckle whenever I think of the dead time spaces. <laughs> oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um as well as uh you know walking across the street taking three weeks <laughs> just like why I, I don't know it's fun i like messing with mechanics that most people don't toy with so when we when we were working on this um i think the major point that i added to this other than the initial concept idea that you expounded upon in an amazing way was i was like all right we need rules <laughs> How is this place functioning and how is it not descended into chaos upon itself? So I'm pretty proud of the uh, very, <laughs> these are the laws of the land. Good luck. <laughs> but that was the big thing. And through that concept, we really made a place where all of these other things that you can find, whether it be um, uh, the new core class, the symbiote, and, um, the uh the different subclasses we've created as well as the new races uh that we put together and sub races uh could live side by side with not just you know your other random adventuring parties that happen to wander into this space but also alongside gods and demigods who all have to follow the same rules 
uh, lest they be chucked into the abyss that is the uh, the center of this this realm. Um, it is quite possibly one of the most fun pieces of architecture that physically can't exist that I've ever had a pleasure of being a part of creating. I'm just unpacking all of that a little bit, and I want to say thank you for uh, singing my praises for something that I did, in fact, dash out over like six weeks. I like talked a bit about my show, my background, dear listeners, and sure, I have survived higher education as a literature and creative writing graduate, so I know how to waffle on to try and convey a point. But I hope that my writing does uh, either in this project that we've put together, or some of my fiction, or something, uh, gets the attention of the big wider universe. Because honestly, I would say that the setting that we've created for our book is possibly the single finest thing I've ever written down and something I'm so incredibly proud of that I want to be involved with in my writing sort of forever, which is why I'm so glad that it's a thing that like I own and you dabble with and will be part of like whatever content around role-playing games I want to make because this no place outside of time and space can fit every fictional setting ever made. If you can stumble from this from like a Dickensian novel to like the weird cyberpunk stuff to every established multiverse out there in just fiction even like even the messes that happens in like comic books because their timelines are all over the shop but they can still find themselves at the center of this creation that we that I started then you've just sort of populated with all of the creatures that have filled up the book it's it's something I'm still very proud of and it's a it's an opportunity for a lot of different players that are going to stumble upon our book that they can set every kind of game here. Even games not necessarily in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. They can set any game here, and that prospect is just so exciting to me. But, but the fun of setting like it, where physics doesn't matter, uh, magical rules don't matter, and because it's so big and all kinds of creatures here, politics become irrelevant... It's just such a wonderful mm -hmm. utopian sort of fairyland that it's, it is sinister when you look at how the place runs, and you'll read that when you pick up our books, dear listeners. But that sort of ecosystem works in its dysfunction. Oh, is it too late to put that in the manuscript? <laughs> no, not at all. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. Hell yeah, we do. Listen, yeah, as the time of recording, you are hearing amendments being made to our project right now. But yeah, that is that is the world outside of all worlds that I made that I love more than anything I've made in a very long time. It's just something I'm deeply proud of. And it's because it's, it was a concept that I've been sort of like dancing around in some of my other games of Dungeons and Dragons. There's been times where uh, one of my characters has cast a wish spell, but the wish was so big it created uh, a parallel world within my uh, D&D homebrew setting. So there's two different versions of my world, one, one called Timeline Blue, one called Timeline Red. And those two worlds are so very similar but very distinct, and how they interact with each other goes through this no place in the center of the, the, center of the multiverse. And... Like there've there've been characters that I've written about that I've seen in other games that are ported over to my games because they've been able to move through this realm and they have like grand vehicles kind of like 
uh, void ships or the weatherlight from magic that can just sail between multiverses and planeswalkers from magic and others other similar cross-dimensional beings that you were able to flesh out as well as some of the ones that I sort of like put my weird cosmology into and <laughs> it's so satisfying that Someone can say one tiny little thing and then I just sort of sit down at my PC unemployed for six weeks and just crack out like pretty much the entire chapter, the entire chapter seven. And it's like, gone. oh, no, no, we uh, yeah, the, the we we actually moved this particular thing all the way up to chapter one so that it kind of flowed with the rest of the book. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing we need to sort of address on. So like when we got. The idea of just like, all right, we're going to brew up a bunch of stuff for you to use in your 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons games. We, and this is like the disclaimer in like the introductory page. We wanted it to have the tone of like Xanathar's and Tasha's, but it's super, super dedicated to play. But also it's rules that you don't have to like be all and end all live by. So because it's like geared, geared towards play, it's geared towards story-driven play. So we've just thrown you players in the deep end to this weird no place outside of time and space right at the beginning and then you'll work into seeing what all of the new player options are like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's uh, given us a lot of opportunities to sort of like recognize how indie books are made but with our own pride to say like yes we have made un impossible structures populated by dark gods but also figures from history of like our actual IRL Earth history, as well as like the history of various D and D realms and various fictional realms, all coinciding perfectly. Even though that would never be possible, but we, the natives of our no place, eat impossible for breakfast. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> so let's uh, let's jump down into the actual like book itself because right now on Kickstarter, and you can find the link to our Kickstarter in our show notes. As of the time of recording and the time that you're listening to this, dear listeners, we're just over a week into it, and we've made good headway, but our goals are a little bold, but I believe in us. But any support you're willing to throw at us is immensely appreciated, so do consider throwing us your hard-earned bucks if you can spare it so that you can get a very unique piece of D&D lore. But what kind of unique piece of D&D lore? Well... We have put together something very special, haven't we, my good pal? <laughs> we certainly have. What would you? How? Uh, what would you like to say to, to sort of like paint a picture in their tiny uh, lizard brains? Oh, all right. So, other than the first gate itself, which is in a brand new world to effectively sandbox your characters into, um, we have created a combination of some new variant rules. Um, some new variant mechanics that you can include in your game. Uh, one of my absolute favorite things that we kind of work together on, and this is something I will use in every game forever, and that is how curses work. Um, I've always been very, very, very upset with how easily a curse can be sussed out with the identify spell. Now, I know that it's not normally rules as written, but nine times out of ten, it's very bland like oh yes you understand that this is this axe and that there's a lore behind it and you understand that most people that have this and then it kind of just straight up gives away the curse um which is it's not really conducive for storytelling it really kills it so what we did was we made different levels of curses uh curses that yeah you can go ahead and cast identify but if you don't cast identify at the right level 
you only get the magical properties of this and not necessarily the uh, archaic curse that was also placed down on this item as well. And the fun thing I've really enjoyed about that is the curses are not geared to just simply ruin your day. A lot of them are really designed to create roleplay scenarios. Um, and that is something I live and breathe on, is just introducing something random and innocuous. And then suddenly, over the course of a, you know, a couple days in-game, suddenly I just say to you, you know, you're starting to feel this way. And they're like, why? And I was like, huh. I don't know. I guess you'll have to figure that out. <laughs> um, but <laughs> because you did some things and these are the consequences of your actions is exactly how it works out. But we've also uh, one. I mean, there's so there's honestly a bajillion things I can go into. Um, we wanted to kind of create some stuff because we work with uh, uh, Quill um, and uh, or Porter uh, is his name. Uh, on uh with some congenital birth defects one of the big things that we realized in D&D is that the very big mindset of magic fixes everything really discounts people being born into a world with something that puts them at possibly a disadvantage in some areas versus others because magic well guess what you go see a cleric and bam you're fixed you could be born deaf but suddenly you're like oh I can hear um and it's not really talked about but the thing is, we only put a couple in here, and there's two reasons for it. One um, is we do, you know, Porter is deaf, uh, was born deaf, and we kind of got that insight. Uh, he actually played in uh, my Red Opera game, the first iteration of it. Um, and so when I worked with him, I wanted to really nail this down to say, hey, I want this to be something unique and fun to role play that gives you an understanding of what it would be like to be someone born deaf um, but also being sensitive and not you know maybe making some of the common misconceptions that people think about people that are born deaf um, we also kind of added some dnd rules in here to make it so that it would work functionally you could still be an adventurer um, yeah you you learn some valuable skills growing up this way that help you in you know dnd land whether you be a fighter or a spellcaster now, as a spellcaster, obviously, there's things you can do to get around your uh, your congenital defect. But, um, you know, not everyone wants to be a spellcaster. Some people want to be a fighter. Some people want to be a monk. Well, guess what? We, we're, we're here for that. We really wanted to create something fun and unique. Um, but the reason we only went with a couple of them, like Born Blind and Born Deaf, is um, because they're pretty common in, con in comparison to a lot of the other ones that uh, we've had firsthand experience with. Uh, specifically me, I don't, I didn't want to really go into the whole thing of like making this entire project about, um, you know, different uh, conditions that people may, uh, uh, you know, have afflicted upon them by either the life's cruel circumstances um, or being born uh, a little bit different than the rest of us. And uh, because if we did that, it would kind of be less about the 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 role play aspect and the fun that you could have with it. Um, and then maybe some of the understanding you get by playing one of these characters, and it would go more towards the tokenism, which is something we really wanted to avoid as well. Because um, it's one thing to be accepting, but it's another thing to pander. And we don't want to be seen, and we aren't pandering. That's not who we are. We just wanted to make something fun and unique that would make your D&D &D experience a little bit more enlightened and fun at the same time. 
it's, uh, so yeah there's been there have been rules for it sort of um in the community and in um unearthed arcanas and stuff but they've not they've not balanced the expectation of it being like conducive to the game rules but also inclusive to the community in my opinion so i think mm-hmm. without sounding arrogant of course i think our rules sort of match that tone well which is why i'm very grateful to will uh to have been with us on this project editing and big shout out to you buddy honestly you've been great service but um yeah just trying to get that level of extra options just to add weirdly and add an extra sense of realism to this game full of uh magic and monsters yeah absolutely and with that because we didn't want it and that's another thing that we we realized really early on is that originally we were going to make these sort of backgrounds uh, but then we realized, you know, it's okay. A, there's a lot that goes into making a background that we really didn't want to fiddle with the mechanics on, like uh, your ideals and your flaws and all that. And we wanted to just cr- add to your story. So these, we actually dubbed them along with a few others of these that we made background quirks, which are really just additions to the normal D&D backgrounds. So they get added on to what you've already picked. So you could be a charlatan that was uh, born deaf. You could be a uh, uh, a soldier uh, that was born blind. Um, and you still get the benefits of that, plus the stuff that comes with this as well. Um, not to mention some of the other crazy stuff that we created, like the temporal born or the dimensionally rifted, which we we admittedly say that this would probably be a, a you know for those games where you have a GM that switches out with another GM and you kind of switch back and forth just because of how incredibly ridiculous it is, but it's just fun. The ability to have two characters that are tied to each other but can never exist in the same place at the same time. It was a real fun role play uh, aspect that we wanted to add in. We just thought it was amazing. Really was, and it was handled, and the ideas behind it, especially considering the weird. Uh, technically seventh dimensional aspects that we're playing with in our book is like weird things where like time shifted and rift uh, rift walkers are definitely just necessary it reminds me of some stuff that i actually suggested to sort of like reverse not beta test beta test it in a friendly game of um more deep dragon heist where i played a monk uh, a warlock a great old one warlock who the one time i couldn't make a session my uh, DM was just like, "Oh, that's cool. Um, you just got pulled in through a portal, and you were just summoned by your by your patron." And I was like, "Okay, so here's these things. Uh, do they seem OP for the rest of the module?" And he's like, "I don't care about that. You can run it if you want." It. And I was like, "Okay, great." <laughs> and I role played it with the thought that when I came back to the next session, all right, clearly my character's a year older, and they have a, an above average knowledge of the causation and the flow of time. They perceived time as this grand river that runs through Faerun. And it was really fun to sort of get out there and brush up on some weird Doctor Who quotes from the 60s. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, and that's just a taste of the kind of stuff that you can bring to your games with our little slice of role-playing goodness. But um, without the weirder stuff, I think a lot of people look to... Uh, books like this and like uh, Xanathar's and Tasha's to see the consistent um, stuff that you can expect from most of the books like it and that's something to show love to multiple races and all 12 classes and I think we went in with the intention that at least one 
subclass goes to all 12 classes. And I think we hit all of those niches very well, if I do say so. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we want to do is hit all that. The only one that we don't hit, I believe, is Artificer. And that's just because legally, I don't think we're allowed to. <laughs> I do. We there is an artificer class out there that I've just kind of given away for free. Um, but yeah, it's the one thing that we can't put in a uh, a published funded thing because uh, you know wizards may come and say, "Hey, not only do you need to cease and desist, uh, we'd like part of your revenue stream." And we're, we're going to be like, "No, no, thank you, please." <laughs> oh, what was the what was the brilliant disclaimer we put in the beginning? It's just like all. Uh, oh, it was about the. Uh the riding chickens about how it resembles something from another ip is very different because we fight extra dimensional monsters but uh like copyright lawyers are actually scary <laughs> yes that was for the riding chickens uh i will never ever ever publicly especially on a uh, open venue explain where those came from but if you know you know <laughs> Fantastical idea, but um, yeah, there's there's that, and there's a few other ideas that we needed to sort of like reskin and repurpose for our own means, so that we didn't get in trouble with those terrifying, terrifying uh, copyright lawyers. But that's kind of the nature of like building a project like this from the ground up. But uh, we'll come back to that. But first, like the twelve classes and a few little smattering of races and backgrounds, I think are, like yeah. the expectation for a book like this and. I am very proud of the the offerings we were able to put together for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the bigger additions that comes from this in the form of races would be the Jinken, uh, which uh, was honestly just a random name that I came up with after I started building these. Um, because in the world of D&D, the Genasi exist, which are very elemental creatures. And I was like, well, I mean, cool, but it's very singular. Um, I don't like it. I want to play something more dynamic and unique. So we made the Jinkin, which are basically the offspring of elemental uh, powers uh, that are, in most cases, opposing, like fire and water to make a steam Jinkin or a air, water, uh, earth, air, fire, earth, all these things um, in order to uh, really give each one of these sub races a very unique uh set of abilities that would kind of gear them towards maybe one thing or the other but honestly it's we wanted to make sure that it was meeting some of the the meshes of most of the other ways that they've been built now which is you can increase one ability score of your choice um things along those lines but they each have their own very independent and strong attitudes towards certain things just based off of how they're made uh, one of the biggest ones being the wildfire Jenkin, <laughs> which is just a real hothead and ready to go do whatever, whenever. It's basically the fun guy at a party. <laughs> yeah, you always want to uh, kick up a steam with those guys. They're always uh, they're always the wildfire life of the parties. But uh, that just makes another depth, and that's what also I think makes our setting so cosmic. It, because it can just very easily take place in the elemental in the elemental chaos where the forces of air, earth, fire, and water sort of go through and are wild and free. So while we could see the, the Genasi there sort of chilling out and being like part natives of the material plane that have gone there, that's not quite cosmic enough. We needed to see someone that's actually native to the wilder side of elemental energy just chilling out and that's what we 
created a niche that we didn't realize was uh, going to be necessary. So uh, I think that was part of the part of the charm, right? Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to give you as much fun to play with these very unique uh, creatures as possible. They can be built for anything, but they each kind of have their own little niche um, that, you know, maybe some of them will be geared more towards stealth. Maybe they won't. Maybe you'll take the uh, the the dustkin and be like, I'm going to be a straight up fighter with this guy, despite the fact that, you know, some of its abilities are a little bit more sneaky. Uh, the glass one, uh, would you wouldn't think would be a frontline fighter, but who knows? It's your choice. Have some fun with it. Bring them into your world and make it uh, make it a real spotlight character. I always like and enjoy playing those characters that are sort of against type slash against expectations. Uh, a, a friend of mine once played as an Aarakocra who is like deathly scared of heights, and the whole arc was her trying to get over her fear of heights and learn to fly again is just a very wholesome sort of character goal that I'm glad that she got to at the end, or will we'll, we'll do once we resume that game. The, the world is hard and scheduling is there, but getting games like this and projects like this off the ground is half the charm. And yeah, yeah. I think one thing I just wanted to sort of talk about is like those who are listening in the know and being like, wow, they made a thing. Uh, what were some of the big old troubles and tribulations we had when we were making the thing? Okay, so one of the biggest things that I, I ran up against was um, I don't really look for things right off the bat when I'm creating something uh, because I have an idea and I throw it out there and I build it. And then someone comes and says, hey, there's something kind of like that already. And I'm like, okay. So I go find it and I'm like, that's no, fine. Mine's better. <laughs> Now, I know that that comes off a little bit arrogant, but it's mostly, it, it really is one of those things where I'm like, I see something, and I, I've run into a few things that I've created, and I'm like, nope, this is garbage compared to what they did. I'm going to just go ahead and throw this in the bin, and we'll pretend like this never happened. Um, it's happened on multiple occasions where I thought I had a really cool idea, and I run into someone who's like, I did this like three years ago, and I'm like, hmm, well, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. So... Um, what we try to do is kind of create brand new mechanics for everything um, while still paying homage to what the game actually is, which is a game of fantasy and fantastical adventure. Um, and with that, you know, kind of taking some inspiration from, you know, the real world. I mean, heck, I took a couple ideas straight from the uh, uh, or, or I, inspiration specifically uh, straight from authors that i'm a huge fan of like uh jim butcher and the dresden files uh inspired literally two very distinct things that we've put in here and honestly if i hadn't read those books i never would have thought of it and i was like i want to make this in D because it sounds amazing um yeah it's gonna be tough to get them but it's just fun but i think most of the things that are going to be the the struggle in the long run are um Making sure that we aren't stepping on the toes of wizards um, and making sure that we're adhering to the uh, the open gaming license as well as the SRD that we're allowed to pull from, which honestly, I've already got someone lined up to do a read through to make sure that that is. And if there's anything that we need to change, we'll get it fixed immediately so we don't have those, those trials and issues. Um, but... I think I think the the hardest thing I ran into myself was just sometimes I hit a brick wall with ideas. So I would just start playing video games until something popped into my head off of a random thing that I was doing in a video game and I was like that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 
<laughs> writer's block is a real bummer. It is, but I can definitely relate to the, oh, this is an idea that I've had and now it is all encapsulating, but also the, uh, I have nothing going on, so what is life sort of deal, that that dichotomy. I think um, once we had our curses talk and how we've redone the rules for curses and uh, blessings and stuff, I think one source of inspiration that I just said on a dare and then you were just like yes I need this immediately was uh the seven deadly sins and the seven heavenly virtues and I turned them all into curses that was so <laughs> good because that was the thing you dashed out over a long weekend and they came back perfect <laughs> I I can't help it I like I literally I've I've told people that <laughs> I've I've thrown out some of the ideas in like random discords and and other venues of just some of the curses that I've created, not necessarily with the mechanics that we're releasing in here, but just an idea of what the curses are. And I have been asked multiple times, "Who hurt you?" Yeah, that was my first thought when I first heard about your existence and you um, showed off the pa the uh, your warlock, and I was like, "Who hurt you? Why why do you need this someone to be this strong?" <laughs> I support it, but like, damn. <laughs> but yeah, that always makes just like interesting modules and interesting, uh, interesting lines of play that one could follow. So yeah, I I can't hate it too bad. It's uh, it's it's just puzzling to see where the kind of inspiration came from. But to quote one of my favorite quotes that I sort of like use as a motivator for uh, everything I do, really, um, big things have small beginnings. Uh, community manager approaching me from out of nowhere being like, hey, let's write a D and d book together. And I was like, yeah, sure. And here we are, <laughs> nearly two years later, and our Kickstarter for it is uh, scrabbling its way up the side of the mountain, but I have endless faith in it. Yeah, absolutely. I we, We've got plans to make this a thing no matter what happens. So one way or another, this is going to be put in people's hands. I will die on that hill. It, there'll be no dying, and the hill will be made out of the book itself. I have every faith in it, one way or another. But uh, for the quickest and most efficient way so that we don't have to do another attempt at this would be to pledge whatever you can over at Kickstarter. Uh, just search uh, the first gate, the Menagerie of Madness, in the search engine of choice or in the links down below in the show notes. And you can see all of the tiers that you can pledge to and all of the little rewards you may be able to find depending on how much you are willing to back us. We would be very grateful for whatever you are willing to spare. And this is a project that we have put a lot of time and love and brewing and playtesting and belief into that, yes, we have written <laughs> a thing from the ground up. Uh, yep. What big notes do you want to leave our dear listeners with, Jeff, my good pal? Jeff, John, my good pal? Uh, one of the big things that I want to make sure that everyone is aware, I did send out an update on Kickstarter um, just, I think, uh, yesterday or the day before, that uh, due to the fact that uh, we overshot how much we might need, um, what I will be doing is anybody that backs uh, one of the, uh, the levels uh, or tiers that would give you an at-cost print code, what we'll do is we'll actually cover the cost of the materials. The only thing you'll end up doing is uh, paying for shipping and handling just because that, that varies so widely. Another big thing was I had a question from someone because I didn't go through and list every single place that it can ship to because that is a very tedious thing. So quite frankly, if drive through RPG can ship to your area, you can back at whatever level you want. 
Um, and they're the ones that are doing uh, printing and fulfillment for us. Uh, it keeps our overhead low, and uh, it uh, makes sure that you have a quality product. We're very fortunate that uh, an institution as big as DriveThruRPG is able to back us up with this one so that we can get them printed at good paper stock, at good print quality, and out to many, many locations around the world. So I want to show, show them a big thank you as well. But yes, you've heard us right, dear listeners. If you have backed us enough with a good bit of love and support, it will be in your fine mandibles very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we tap out though uh i do want to go ahead i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna go ahead and release a random thing Ooh. uh just via this i'm gonna i'm gonna let you pick is it gonna be a spell is it gonna be a item or is it gonna be a feat interesting thing uh you're hearing history first dear listeners um the feats are there, are there for like the very nitty gritty kind of gamers. I think the items you've covered quite through quite well on your own drive through RPG. So I'm going to say a low to mid level spell, something that can really tantalize all kinds of casters. All right, let's see here. Uh, da, da, da. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, we actually. Uh, decided that we wanted a mechanic in the game that really messed up people that liked metal. So there is a oh, spell, spell that we are adding in here called Magnetize. It is a second level evocation for wizards, sorcerers, and druids. It does require concentration, a casting time of one action, a range of 60 feet. Uh, it's got some components, uh, both vocal, somatic, and material components being iron fillings. Has a duration of up to five minutes or until your concentration drops. Uh, you grab hold of the energy in the air and force it into the metal in a 15-foot area. All creatures in the area in possession of any metal object, whether that be armor, weapons, tools, etc., must make a dexterity save or all metal becomes magnetized and is attracted to the other metals in the area. <laughs> the following effects can be caused. Uh, they have a disadvantage while attacking with metal weapons. Uh, there's a strength DC check in order to move away from other creatures wearing or holding metal. And loose metal items are drawn to those wearing metal armor. <laughs> and, of course, you can cast this at a higher level, increasing it five feet per spell level. So if you want to really mess with some people, that's a real good way to do it because no one thinks about, oh yeah, everything I'm wearing is metal. That paladin's going to be real mad. <laughs> this was a spell that like, as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, oh, that. Uh, that was just a thing that sort of occurred to me just like as someone who used to love science before they realized they were bad at it at school. There's no real effect like it in Dungeons and Dragons, and that was that was actually a, a huge motiva motivator for us. We were just like, "There's no effect like this in Dungeons and Dragons. How can we make it?" So we just went, "How do, how do we do that?" So I think it was just a case of we looked at things that we would want in Dungeons and Dragons, and what how did it go? So the actual reasoning of why don't druids like metal. We have a reason now. They saw the artifice and the machines and the forgery, and they used magnetism to just deter dudes in suits of armor. And it makes total yeah. sense, and we love it. We do love Absolutely. to see it. Absolutely. 
So there you go. There's your little freebie sneak peek. Um, the other things, uh, shoot, you can, you can post my, uh, I'll give you my link tree at the end of this, uh, to post at the bottom. They'll be able to go look at the Ko-Fi. There is some of the stuff that's in this book that's actually already been released. Uh, specifically, if you want to get a good vibe and, uh, check on some of the Warlock stuff we created, the horror is a really good example of some of the absolute chaos that is going to be brought forth by this, uh, this wonderful compendium. That and many, I am particularly proud of uh, druids of necrobotany and paladins to holy fire. There's <laughs> a lot of possibilities yes. there. Yeah. Yes, and yes. we have much to look forward to. But in the meantime, there's a Kickstarter that you can go back right now and the contents of myself and my dear friend John, for you to go back. So why don't you tell the nice people where they can find you and your work across the wide and wild interwebs? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I, uh, I'm i on so many social media platforms now, but uh, first and foremost, I'm usually on Twitter at Biscuit10RPG. Um, I have the same name across the board on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok because there is no place like the fresh hell that is TikTok and <laughs> sucking up your time. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. But yeah, it's fun, and I've put some stuff up there. Um, there's some really unique things that'll never be released by us just because I kind of took the idea from somebody else and made it better, and it's just free. But no, it's uh, there's there's so much on there. Most of the stuff I do is obviously going to be on Twitter because it is a lot more user-friendly in terms of posting links and getting uh things where you can just click directly on it without having to watch through a video first so that's a definitely yeah. a fair way to do it and yep do check out all of john's workings there and uh also do definitely check out john's intermittent streams on twitch.tv forward slash biscuit rpg oh. oh my god i completely, I completely forgot that i do that yes so yes read Every... for a couple of times now i believe <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we just started up our second iteration of the Red Opera with a brand new cast and crew. Um, so, And I can already tell that the energy and vibe of this party is significantly different from the first one. So I'm really excited to see what they do with this campaign. Uh, so every Friday night at 8 to 10 Central Standard Time, that's America, Chicago, something. I don't know what the UTC, I think it's like negative five. Um I don't know how that works. Time zones are weird when you don't live outside of the United States. Um, but there's that. And then also every Saturday morning, my friend Mike runs the City of Illumination, and I'm a player in that. Uh, that is at 12 noon Central Standard Time. Wonderful gameplay goodness for many to behold. As for little old me, you can find me writing right here on Fantastic Universes and broadcasting my gaming news and hot takes on the Hostile Takeover podcast. Find me on Twitter and all the other social needs at IsItTinkra. You can find my writing again on the place where we, where Jeff, John and I first met, uh, Apotheosis Studios. I don't contribute to them anymore, but a lot of the, the the beta material that will eventually, that inspired all the stuff that has gone on to First Gate Menagerie of Madness was being placed there, as well as my own news on the Runeterra card game on RunterraCCG.com. Find my innate ability to crack packs of various card games on my TikTok because, yes, that platform sucks up everyone's time. And 
my own solemn vow here. You may set me on fire in the street if I don't keep to this, but starting very soon at twitch.tv forward slash Tinker, you'll find me playing digital card games of many kinds of varieties at whatever weird hour in the evening I can muster up my energy to do so. The Marvel card game has no business being as good as it is, but my own personal favourites such as Magic, Runeterra, and Skyweaver will also be on the docket. But most importantly, awesome. as is uh, the point of calling him my good pal John, the my co-pilot in this endeavour, if you can spare us a dime, do check us out. First Gate of the Menagerie of Madness Kickstarter live right now for a few more short weeks. Pledge what you can and you will get a very unique slice of Dungeons & Dragons goodness right to your gaming table. Thank you very much for listening, but until next time, live free and play well. Bye.